Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the TES International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. In this episode, we chat with Chris Woodhams, Assistant Principal at St. Joseph's Institution International School, Malaysia, about how the school revamped its offering for pupils with English as an additional language in response to rising cohort numbers that meant teachers were working with an increasingly varied range of English language skills in their classrooms. He explains how ensuring all staff felt comfortable working with these pupils quite a major shift in its policies in this area, covering everything from classroom learning to admission processes, and why the school sought outside help to do all this work in the best way possible. All that and lots more on the latest TES International Podcast. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the TES International Podcast. Really great to chat with you. We're going to be talking about EAL, a very interesting topic and one that I've written about in the past. I know is always a sort of a concern, an area of improvement for schools. So I think that's going to be a fascinating conversation. Before we get into that, though, just tell us very briefly about yourself, your role, how you came to be in the part of the world you're in, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks for welcoming me. Uh, my name's Chris Woodhams. I'm the assistant principal at St. Joseph's Institution International Malaysia. We have a sister school in Singapore, which um, has been founded a long time before us. Um, yeah, I'm assistant principal overseeing the academic side of uh, things in our school, in the elementary school. So that's up to year six um, English level. And yeah, over recent times, we've seen a big expansion in numbers. And part of that um, expansion has involved us really looking deeply at our strategy towards um, how we provide for our EAL students. So I've been across that in my position uh, quite heavily over the past couple of years. Great. And can you tell us a bit more about that, that growth you're seeing? Like what sort of numbers are we talking there? And, and do you know what's driving that? Was it almost, was, you, was it factored into the school's progression, uh, you know, plans or was it almost, did it come by as a bit surprised by that growth? Um, no, we were very much preparing for it. Um, we were pleased to see basically numbers increase. We had a period of, a long period of um, lockdown in Malaysia uh, uh, for COVID. Um, uh, along with many other schools, we saw um, some numbers drop there, sort of expats leaving the country. I think it was quite a common trend. So our, our numbers decreased a little bit during that time. Um, but very much as part of our school development plan during COVID and very much coming towards the end of COVID when things were looking um, bright again, um, we very much kind of were horizon scanning and saw the opening of the national borders basically in Malaysia and in China and Korea and our surrounding um, region, the opening of borders then just presented a huge opportunity for, for student number growth and having a high quality uh, provision for uh, EAL um, would have meant or does mean that we're competing well against our kind of um, competition here for that piece of the market. Yeah. Obviously, that's great to have that growth, but I guess it always brings you know new challenges and, and and so forth. And one of those obviously was the EAL element. So I suppose was it the case in that through that all these new pupils coming in, it just it just increased the sort of spectrum of ability on EAL, and you really looked and thought we have to do something about this because the the range is so broad now. Yeah, I mean we we've always catered well to our um, EAL children, and as an international school in Asia, it's it's a it is a is a market that's there. Um, often um, families moving from Asian countries to Malaysia. Malaysia is quite an attractive place um, for yeah Asian expats. Um, so that's always been a kind of key part of our school demographic. But just the sudden opportunity or the the very fast growth we saw. Um, was a challenge to get to get ready for. You know, we we kind of grew by about two hundred um, pupils in the space of about a year and a half. At one point, Dan, um, in the first 
year of fully being open um, post-COVID. We got to January, our second term, and in the elementary school alone, we were looking at a, a, you know, a new intake of solely EL students of, a, of around 70 students in, in just in, in one term. Mm. So yeah, to be ready for that, we were expecting that and we wanted that. Um, but to be ready for that was it was a was a challenge, and we did a lot of work to to be ready for that. Perfect. Well, that sounds like a great uh, setup to tell us about that work, and you know what did you do particularly? Yes, I guess from the sort of get was what was point one in that in that process. I mean, think you know, putting it on as part of our school development plan, um, maximizing on that opportunity was a was a key strategic goal, uh, and then everything obviously comes back from there. So. If I'm honest with you, having that real high level leadership buy-in um, at a board level, but also, you know, as an academic team, um, that is a key aspect to our success. It's got to be driven from the highest levels of leadership to be successful. Um, we did a lot of work in terms of looking around at other schools and, and like, you know, gauging our provision against other schools in the area. Um but what we really did well was engage with external consultants, um, a lady called Anna Lehman, who work, runs a company called EAL Inclusive. We engaged her services and there was lots that came out of that piece of work. Um, we had all key stakeholders in, in our school and actually we were lucky enough to, uh, for the newly appointed staff that were going to basically be part of an expanded EAL department, um, we were able to include them at that stage as well, even before they started their positions here. So yeah, having all those people ahead of time, building up a key kind of strategy uh, and a key outcome of that piece of work was, was having a very well-considered EAL policy that would then basically drive all our choices and decision-making around that area. I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I suppose the question I have in a way, well, several questions, but the one that I will ask first is bringing an outsider, you know, consultant, how did that help? Like what, what did she look at and sort of say, this is great. You could prove this, try this for this process. Was that kind of how it worked? Is that what you want someone to come and just give you that kind of step back and look at what you're doing? Does it work? I mean, I think we were doing, we were quite um, encouraged by sharing what we were doing and having her validation really um, of we were doing a good job. Um, there were some key bits and pieces that came out you know, as I say, we didn't really have a fully fledged whole school um, policy approach. So that was something that she was able to guide us on. There was another um, charitable association called the Bell Foundation that she recommended us using. And our EAL department leader of the time did some good CPD using that. So I'd recommend that for any other schools out there trying to like get quality CPD. It's It's very well priced as well. So that actually... Came, became a bit of a, a learning curve for, for her own professional development. But out of that, we got guidance around what a good policy looks like and really kind of changed our view uh, around EAL as a kind of specific need, as that actually changing it, broadening it out to more of a, it basically, I know it was really good at having this um, crucial, crucial for some, good for all. Mm -hmm. So EAL provision um, at its at its best is actually beneficial for all students. So actually just having that kind of refreshing view from a from an external source uh, was really helpful. There was lots of other bits and pieces that came out. We tinkered with our admissions process um, and in that used a new um, admissions test to help us kind of identify 
those EAL needs earlier mm. and then also gain greater clarity upon entry to our school. We already had a lot of key information from the tinkering we did with our admissions process. So that was a that was a key thing. There's quite a few pieces there. Yeah. So on that admissions element then, so that wasn't a case of making the admission harder or anything. It was more just so you got a better sense of a pupil's EAL level as they came into the yeah. school than you might have had before. We'd worked hard on on doing our kind of own in-house version uh, to assess EAL needs of children that we thought would be EAL children. But it was a bit subjective and it didn't really give us the standardized sort of key information we needed. So I don't want to name drop here, but we used um, also for younger learners, it's actually quite challenging to find um, uh, a placement test. They call them for children below 12, but we managed to find one called the Oxford Young Learners Placement Test. And that brings it right down to age seven. They, it, give, it just gave us a kind of standardized data that when having discussions with parents, um, you know, about our EL provision and having that kind of like security around the decisions we've made about designating children as EAL, that, that was a key piece to, to mm. give us a bit of confidence in that and a bit more accuracy. And also it gives us obviously a, an indicator of the level of EAL need as well, which is really important to gauge before arriving at school. There was a lot that came out, Dan, as well. Through the process of growth and supported by our work with the consultant around well-being and pastoral care. So you know, a lot of families, particularly in the early stages of our growth in the early days post borders opening, um, there were some quite difficult times for families, particularly from China, having small windows where visas were available. Mm. And, you know, we found that children were arriving that had probably not been fully aware of that being a kind of a move for them until maybe two weeks before arriving in a new country, in a new school. And with young learners, uh, elementary school students, students which, which is my field, um, that presents a lot of challenges. So we then started to work with our my counterpart, my assistant principal, pastoral, and our head of school as well on really kind of bolstering our pastoral care uh, that we gave to our EL families. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very important point, isn't it? Like you can have the best person in the world, so it's maybe teaching, but if the people isn't, in the right headspace, so they're, they're feeling upset because they just arrived and they don't know what's going on, then, then it's not going to have the impact. So I suppose maybe we'll, we'll come back to that as well as a point to delve into as, as required. But there's so many, there's so many things you're saying that, that spark questions, but I want to get back I mean, to the, the steps. Go on, sorry. It really but we, we, you know, it, it is quite a specific discussion we're having, but it really did broaden out to, you know, how we cater for these students. If we get this right, that it's going to be how we cater, it's basically how we cater for all students. In well, that's, that's actually what I was going to kind of come to was you, you talked about your policy and you talked about your EAL department. But again, I know that when I wrote an article about EAL a couple of years ago now, but one of the sort of key things that came out of it was, yes, it can't just be that you have certain people who do this and then the other parts of the school are sort of, oh, well, that's not me. It was very much you have to have every classroom is a sort of language classroom. And you know, people who said that said it's not, that's not easy. They're not saying, oh, just it's simple, but you have to have that kind of mindset. So I suppose that sounds a little bit like what you're alluding to there. So again, can you tell us a little bit about what was it that you, how did you make that shift? I mean, I guess you talked about leadership buy-in, but how did you actually make sure that all staff understood, look, we have to broaden this, we have to do it more, we have to do it better, I don't know how you turn it, but how did you make sure that sort of move into that was communicated so and has worked? 
Yeah, I mean, there was a key decision about expanding the EL department. So we knew we had a growth in that area. The board backed us in providing us with the resource to expand the members, the number of staff basically in the department from two uh, increased to four in in a term. Um, there was really good quality recruitment for those individuals. It was challenging. Um, there's a lot of schools needing to bolster their results in this area. So getting high quality staff was challenging, but we we did. Um, so basically, yeah, yeah our, our resource capability grew. And with that, we were then able to kind of confidently go to class teachers and give them the support that they're looking for. I think class teachers, if they know who there's support and know there's um, genuine kind of resource going into the, the need that's there, then there's more likely that they're going to buy into it and not see it as a separate entity that someone else does, as you were saying. Like, I think that's a common um, challenge for EL departments, that it, the sort of need gets shifted to a department level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in, in expanding our team and increasing the number of resources, I think basically staff were like looking at that going, okay, we mean business here. We've got support. How do we best use it? And then there was a big trial in our kind of, you know, t- a term or two of before we started this academic year of basically what what works. What, what, what can we do with that resource? Um, and we did trial a few different bits and pieces. I mean, again, you're, you're saying it up here perfectly, but what, what kind of things did you trial then? And what, you know, anything you, you found that was really successful that other schools you think, like, you know what, this worked really well or anything like that? I think the policy was quite keen on um, not, not, doing, not, do, not overdoing the withdrawal-based support. So we talked about a lot with Anna's help as well about push-in and pull-out support and tried both those. We've always had pull-out support as part of our um, what we call our immersion program. Um, but it was the push-in support, how we get our EAL department's um, influence into the classroom and support into the classroom. So that, that, that involved trying different things. So, you know, making the EAL um, staff's timetable available to all to like book in slots where they wanted to support, trying to align timetables within a year group. So there's common lessons going on at, similar times. So groups of need could be withdrawn withdrawn or, or taught uh, more effectively. Um, but we felt that, and this was also backed up by Anna's experience, if teachers are, their kind of default is to maybe invite an EAL teacher into the classroom and go, here's our EAL children, here you go, sort of thing. And that, mm. that doesn't really work. Like from from our experience, so really engaging the EL team on the planning side of things was what we felt worked best with the pushing pushing support. So getting their influence at the planning stage, we have really good collaborative planning sessions across year groups. So getting their input there um, to basically also upskill the teachers um, and their confidence in providing quality kind of learning for, for EL groups, not just solely giving it to the EAL teachers as their responsibility. Mm. Yeah, which I suppose goes into that point, doesn't it? You need to have it sort of embedded as a, as a thing that they can all do rather than expecting someone just to always be there to do it for you. You have to ups, up, yeah. learn the upskill. I mean, did you, I, I'd assume most teachers internationally kind of 
accept they're going to have to do this, right? They kind of know that they're going into a world where there's going to be EAL requirement. But again, did you did you sense any, you know, given that rapid growth and that extra number of people's coming through, again, presumably there was that kind of balance between making them ready for that and being trained up for it and accepting also it's going to be a journey, right? You, know, you can't just flick a switch and everyone's brilliant. This is yeah. going to be points of sort of getting it wrong or, or, you know, struggling with it or saying, yeah, look, it is difficult. You know, don't, don't expect, we don't expect you to be perfect overnight. Yeah, I think that's a really important message to get across to staff. And as a leader, like that probably wasn't something I was comfortable with straight away. Uh, I wanted to, to, to give our staff the, the best strategy, mm. the best structure of our EL department. But we had to go through some trial and error. We had to try different techniques, um, try different structures. Um, and yeah, just at the moment where it became clear to my EAL leader that we were not necessarily going to find the right answer straight away. And we've got the time and the backing of the board and, and, our, and our more senior leaders to try things out. We were really working towards, towards Dan, like the star of this academic year with the expanded team as being the launch date of our new structure, our new approach. We did get a lot, lot in place towards that, um, but we're still learning and we're still changing things and we're still facing new challenges that we didn't see coming. So having that flexibility and that kind of willingness to, to try things and see what works, see what doesn't work was, was a key ingredient as well. Mm. We did do a lot of work on CPD. Um, I think, you know, if we're, if we're asking staff to change their pedagogy to deal with a rapid growth, and you're right, that was a challenge, then we needed to sort of give them support um, around strategies to help them. And towards that end, this year, we started the year as part of our induction training for, for all staff. We, had, we invited Anna over as an external consultant to, to lead on a half day's training for the elementary and for the high school um, on basically inclusive teaching. We didn't label it EAL teaching. We labeled it inclusive teaching. And in that really set the tone for the year. I think from talking to Anna after the session and we, you know, we obviously involved in what we wanted from that session and giving her some input. Um, she was happy and, and I was happy as well with just staff leaving that session and having buy-in to like this concept of inclusive teaching. And that if, if teachers left that session, just knowing yet, yeah, yet yeah, this is part of my responsibility. It's what I want to do as a professional um, and then giving them the tools to do it basically. So, you know, we, we, it's a challenge for some staffs to change their approach. And there are, as you said, there has been a rapid growth. So it's been a lot of change quickly. Um, but yeah, I think we, the, the buy-in piece for the staff was very much part of our induction uh, CPD. Yeah, well, I was going to ask about CPD. So again, you, you've sort of, you preempted me there, which is great. But the one other question that I was going to ask on the other, on the flip side, I suppose, is we've talked, you know, talk about this, the specific things you can do for, for teachers, but we've also talked about that whole school buy-in approach. And again, when I spoke to people about this, it was very, again, came across. And I remember one school had a nice thing where every week there was like five new words to learn and they were around the school on like these digital boards and things. And then everyone was sort of encouraged to learn them. So it wasn't, it was out in the, the public domain of the school, you might say, rather than in specific classrooms. I'm not saying Ceci anything like that maybe, but as a sort of, as showing a whole school approach, have you changed anything? Have you, you know, as, as you've demonstrated anything in terms of, I don't know how you talk to parents about this, like anything you've done on that school-wide level to really show this isn't just 
in the classroom, it's the school that is, that is adapting here. Like you talked about that policy. I mean, does that, even just having a policy, does that help sort of demonstrate a real kind of school-wide commitment here? I, I mean, it, I think that the, the whole school link between elementary school and the high school is a challenge in what, no matter what area um, you, you mm. kind of look at. Um, having that kind of smooth transition, that smooth progression through curriculum delivery, through pedagogy, through EL support, it's, it's always a challenge in a, in, a, in a whole school. But that policy did unify um, the high school EL department and the elementary school behind one thing. That also what we're finding out, Dan, is like EAL, good quality EAL pedagogy is very different according to age and stage. Um, so one size does not fit, fit all. So what we do in the elementary school is going to be very different from what the high school do and their resources are different and their stage they're at with their, uh, level of need is different to ours as well. But that policy was definitely something the whole school could get behind. Something more specific to the elementary school, talking about, you know, words of the month and kind of things like that. Um, we built on Anna's session and kind of picked out, she shared like nine or 10 really good quality, like strategies to support high quality, inclusive teaching. And I just felt at the time that they were being shared, that the staff did not have enough time to sort of really process. And I think to be honest with you, she was expecting maybe that was a bit more of a default skill set for, for our team. The things that she was suggesting were probably more embedded than they actually are. Mm. So we realized that and invented an inclusion strategy calendar. So every uh, month of the academic year, we filtered down the strategies that she she shared to about seven to cover the academic year and also kind of made them really accessible in a really kind of tight um, sort of resource that's available to everyone. Uh, and then basically like put it on the agenda as, okay, so this month is, uh, last. the first month was... Um, uh, home languaging, so just, uh, you know, using home language in a variety of ways in the classroom to support EL learners. And then strategies around that, you know, specific things you can do around that. So that was our first month's goal. And we drove that as a leadership team as within the EL department by, you know, sharing it, our briefing, introducing it, signposting the strategies, the resources, but then importantly, put it into our middle leadership sort of meeting time. So every month we'd ask the middle leaders, the, the heads of year basically to come back to, to our weekly meeting, but once a month, and just share good practice in that strategy from their year group. Just needing that sort of accountability, that constant um, uh, knocking on the door of an agenda that staff do need when they're dealing with thousand other one things as well to actually get staff to be comfortable with trying new things or mm. you know adopting these strategies. That's a mechanism that worked. Last month, we did groupings. So staff really focusing on how they use different grouping strategies to support EAL learning or to support learning, basically. And this month, and this was, um, uh, this has started with another EAL, uh, another staff inset from our EAL leader. It was effective instruction. So again, this is kind of like just good pedagogy, really having really clear, concise um, language. And she actually did a really clever thing where she's Hungarian uh, by sort of by birth, um, and 
you know, use slides that were quite, com- quite, quite messy, quite kind of like convoluted and was teaching a lesson in Hungarian. So we were all the EAL learners for, for that session. Mm. And then it's just putting us in the place of, that, uh, of an EAL learner. And then she changed her delivery to a more effective instruction with tighter language, with keyword translation, but not overdoing it. Just that, giving that kind of like clarity around effective instruction. Mm. And that's this month's um, strategy that we're going to focus on. Yeah, that idea of like, say, teaching him sort of more the unhelpful way, you might say, and then into a sort of much more, here's how it should be done. Is You can picture the sort of, uh, yeah, you can see where if you, you sort of were accidentally doing the sort of the more complex version, you think, you know, I need to think about that. But that, that's great. And I think that shows, doesn't it, that there's lots of practical things you can do here to just, you know, simplify it down and break it down. And again, the idea of like saying, we're just going to get better at Yale teaching. It doesn't really work like that. You have to be really practical, really break it down into component parts. Think about this, think about that. And you know, every, any leader listening to this will probably have their own position on this and where they are in their journeys of school. And maybe they'll listen to think, yeah, we do all this. And maybe they'll listen to think, you know what, we, we probably need to step up our game here or maybe one element they heard you say there, I think we could, we could do better on that. And, and to that point as well, one of the things you mentioned on your email, which definitely struck me as well, and we haven't, I don't think we've touched on it yet, but you talked about how you brought in after school AAL provision programs and a whole school academic language program. Now, I don't know if they are directly related or if they're completely different, but they sound obviously part of this whole package. Tell us a bit about them then, again, like the after school element, I suppose that just helped drive it further for those pupils that want it and need it. Yeah, that's also something we've, we've had to be careful with, with how we do that, um, particularly elementary school students. We, you know, the, the after school program happens at the time when our, our CCA program happens. So we want, it's part of our inclusive kind of, you know, beliefs. We want our EL students to, to benefit as much as everyone else from our CCA program. So getting the fine balance between kind of too much academic support and them not engaging with the sort of broader curriculum, the broader personal growth. So yeah, we, we, that was also a board level kind of input as well. Uh, they were very keen to have that as part of our provision. It does, the idea behind it, in all honesty, is just to try and, um, accelerate the acquisition of language for them by just basically giving them more uh, teaching time. But we deliberately only chose uh, to do that twice a week uh, in one week and deliberately only chose to do it with year three students up to year six in the elementary school. Um, and, you know, just mainly so it wasn't sort of cognitively overloading for the children, the time of day as well as a factor for younger children being the end of a school day already. So the cognitive load on, on students is, is a factor. Um, we, are, we aren't sure how that is going in terms of the impact. It's only been in operation for a term. We did have a good in, uh, buy-in to, to it from our um, existing EL families. Um, it's going to be part of our kind of admissions offering now in term two onwards. If children are identified as having EL need in admissions, then they automatically go into that after school provision. That is whole school as well, Dan. So that, that, that's, you know, runs all, all the way mm. to, to high school as well. So, yeah, but in terms of, you know, how that is, it, how that is impacting the acceleration of their language acquisition, we haven't got the data yet to, to, to view that, but um, we are seeing certainly children go through the, we have sort of three layers of provision. We have an immersion layer, which is like they have a withdrawal session every day. Um, and then an intermediate, which is more of the push-in support. 
and then an advanced, which is basically we're still monitoring them in our, in our kind of records. But for the immersion layer, that's, that's who get the uh, after-school provision. Mm. And, um, so, yeah, but we're seeing a, a kind of quite rapid um, transition from immersion to intermediate level. But that's where the new challenge is now is well, now that we've had real success in this immersion layer, getting them to sort of an intermediate level is how we support that intermediate level. And, you know, we're, we're, we've actually just met this term with the EL leader, myself and her, and just strategized about how it's going to change in term two now, what, what's our new mm. provision going to look like according to our resource capability, particularly with that growing intermediate layer now. Yeah, yeah. No, I can well imagine. I suppose it all it all creates another challenge. But again, did be going up the up the ladder, as it were. Uh, that's good. And does that does that link into that academic language program? Because I my I mean, what does that mean? Is I was going to guess at it, but let, I'll let you tell us instead. Um, yeah, that was something that sort of Anna was pushing really in, in um, our work with her. Something that she had a lot of success when she was leading an EL department across the school. Uh, and it's basically in its infancy, uh, it looks slightly different in the elementary to the high school. And it, 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 we've given the EAL leaders in the high school and elementary school like this term or this year really to kind of get it going. Um, so I can't exactly describe it how it looks in its mm. final state, but it's something that we wanted to have as a program that goes across the whole school. Um, again, it's going to look different for different areas, but it's basically down to teachers to identify the key academic language. Maybe in the high school, it'd be kind of like very much subject-based. In the elementary school, it'd be more maybe generic command words or sort of school words, as well as subject-specific words. So putting the onus on to teachers to identify those words and then um, provide those words to the uh, EAL departments to basically do some pre-tutoring, do some home learning, do some flipped learning kind of work with to give that um, vocabulary growth um, a real uh, push, really. Yeah. to the L team. And so you're talking there about, you know, the kind of language that you'll encounter in those subjects that is very sort of subject specialist, but you yeah. know, if you use it in your exam answers, in your, in your essays, whatever, even a, I guess an interview for university, you'll sound especially knowledgeable. It helps you make your argument sound stronger, tighter. Uh, that that would be a benefit, probably uh, you know further down the yeah. But really, it's just in terms of accessing the the, the teaching um, and learning that's going on in the classroom. Yeah. So really identifying yeah those subject level, very specific vocabulary for geography, for history, for science. So that's a key piece. But it's also the more generic academic language like discuss, command, um, uh, evaluate, analyze the, these kind of like command. I definitely go alongside that. And I think that the subject specific sort of word vocabulary, topic words, I, you know, bread and butter for most teachers, they can work with that. They, they know what that means, but it's more about this other layer of academic language that I think staff need more CPD on. And that's what we've given the EL departments this year to kind of bit of time and space to figure out okay, this is what we want to achieve, but how we go about it. Do, do you always mean there that like, we all know how to use the word analyze or discuss or explore, evaluate, but to actually explain it to someone, it's actually one of those words, it's like quite hard to explain in a way that someone's going to understand in a second language. So learning how to do that is quite helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, a sort of younger age range, it's like corridor and, mm -hmm. you know, those aren't kind of like real 
um, basic language for the school uh, would be sort of part of it. But it's probably, yeah, for the, 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 the older learners, yeah, the meaning behind analyze or uh, evaluate. And yes, like. yeah. Yeah, I remember when I wrote my article a while ago, someone talked to me about, is it slightly comparison to the sort of younger learners we are talking about, they're doing, talking about volumes in shapes. And then one of the people was very confused because they were sort of thinking volume is sound. How does a shape have sound? You know, and they were talking, you know, that sort of barrier of like, they knew what volume meant, but they knew what it meant in terms of loudness, not in terms of, you know, volume of a shape, you know, and that kind of learning that kind of multiple meaning of words. Because English does have a lot of words that are very confusing, aren't they? You know, like that they yeah, mean yeah, the same sure. thing and the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think as well, it comes back to that. That's just good quality teaching as well. You're really unpicking the language that is in a learning objective, um, that's in a topic. It's it's going to benefit everyone. Um, I think the final question I want to ask, because we sort of we haven't really touched on this yet, but I presume it must in incorporate some of this work, is around the parent community. You know, particularly when you've got this growing community and. They, you know, they want their child to succeed. They presumably are they going to be sort of acknowledging that their child's EAL is what it is, or some maybe a sort of don't wouldn't have thought about it as being an issue. I don't know. You tell me. But but how have you encountered that? How have you engaged with parents on that? Do you ask them to support children's learning? Do they sort of not have to get involved? How do you manage all that? Yeah, I think a key piece to sort of overcoming some of the challenges that come come with that is is having real clarity from the very early stages of the admissions process about that, you know, you're, you know, we've identified language needs for your child. This is what it will mean in our school. This is the support we'll get, but also the parents agreeing to that support quite early on. I think, um, a few years ago, we didn't, uh, make it as clear as it could be before they arrived at school. And we had challenges where, okay, so, well, I don't really want, I don't see that my child needs to be withdrawn from, from this subject. It doesn't need this support. And so it became quite challenging to have those conversations, but we've definitely made that more clear and presented things more clearly and sold the benefits really much earlier on in the, in the, in the process. Do you ask them to do anything at home in terms of, you know, speaking English at home or, or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, the academic language for the elementary school um, is definitely part of the EAL students' home learning. So we have a seesaw, so we can share those academic words across seesaw. Seesaw is great for being able to do voice recording to, to hear as well. So in terms of language learning, seesaw is a great digital platform for that. So that's one thing how the parents and the child in terms of home learning, so that we deliberately chose something quite simple, quite mm. sort of uh, structured and the academic language piece offered that. Um, we invite EIL children's um, families in for our parent-teacher conferences uh, along, alongside uh, other, sub other language subjects. Mandarin does the same. Um, but also we've done a lot of work in terms of our uh, induction of parents. Um, you know, the community um, is a real significant part of our school. Like our Asalian ethos is heavily based around service, faith, and community. So community has always been a big thing for our school, but engaging with that particular demographic um, is challenging when language is a barrier. So we've worked on our parent information sessions, having translations or having a translator there. Again, with like teaching um, children with um, effective instruction, we've put that into our parent sessions as well um, with keyword translations. Seesaw is always fantastic, also fantastic in 
offering an automatic uh, translation tool for any messages that are sent through the, that platform, which is what we use for our teacher parent communication. Mm. And we've identified kind of within the community, um, people, you know, that may be from the Chinese community from China, um, that have been with our school for a year or a couple of years, or, uh, you know, got that kind of, um, understanding and basically utilizing them to create kind of communities or smaller, smaller groups and within the community. And we've reached out to parents that we, you know, would like to sort of push that, um, support really for, for families and they've responded and it's been really nice. There's like different communities now for the Korean parents, the Chinese parents, the Japanese parents. So they have got a set, a home language sort of network now, but again, that's, that's something that's getting better, but certainly something we'll build on and, and grow. Like it, it, it will, time will help that as well. Mm. You know, that will, I think naturally get better. Um, as we have more families that have come through and like are confident in what's going on and, and can help others. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like, you know, you, you said yourself a few times you're at the start of this as a journey and, and it's something that sort of happened quite, quite quickly and you're sort of adapting as you go. And it sounds like there's a lot of work that's happening. And I suppose, as you say, it's not always, you don't always have the immediate evaluation of, yes, this is worked brilliantly and everything's perfect. It's more sort of, it's going quite well, and we're going to keep an eye on it. And, you know, we're trying this out and we want to, we want to see that improve and whatever it might be. So, and I think, you know, again, my, my sense is that the EAL challenge or the opportunity, however you want to term it, is, is one that schools are very aware of and, and sort of, you know, do their best on. But I suspect there's lots of good practice and, and ideas to be shared that will help people only get better. And again, that's why I think it's great that you've come on the podcast and spoken about what you've been doing and been honest that some of it is kind of new work and whatnot, because it helps others listening, hopefully think, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. We could do that or we should adapt our practices to be a bit more like that. Or it's great to know we're not, we're not the only ones, you know, having to sort of overcome that hurdle, however you want to term it. But so I think there's been so much there in terms of what you've shared and what you're doing. Really interesting stuff, really important topic. So thank you so much for coming on, sharing it. And um, I think good luck for the rest of it. And maybe in a year's time or so, we can pick up with an article and see what's had, you know, real impact perhaps. That would be great. Yeah, there'll be a lot to share. Yeah, a year on, there'll things will have developed, I'm sure, and there'll be learning to be shared. Um, but yeah, thank you, Dan, for making this happen. And as you say, uh, you know, it has been a real... Um, uh, exciting period of growth, uh, an exciting change agenda within our school. And I've learned a lot along the way and just happy to share that because I know other schools are, are facing similar challenges. So it's it's a good platform to be able to share on. That's great. And is there anywhere people can contact you if they did want to ask any more questions as an email or, or on Twitter or on LinkedIn? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Woodhams. Um, if you go to our school website, you'll find my um, school uh, details there, my, my email there. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn's fine. Um, yeah. That's great. Well, there you go. Hopefully you get a few messages from people. But um, otherwise, for this podcast, thank you very much again. And uh, yeah, that's been great. Thank you.